Welcome in. It's another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, a midsummer edition of our show alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon. I'm Kevin Ingram. We've got a lot of topics to cover during the next few minutes, so we'll jump into them here in just a moment. Chris, I know uh, sales are opening for Blue Ribbon. You've been working hard on the book. Give us the update. What's going on, man? Yeah, I'm envious. One half of this podcasting partnership got to take a vacation. And the, <laughs> other, the other one is a psycho <laughs> who needs to get away. Yeah, we all say which one is which. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you're not the psycho, so let's... Okay. let's uh, we actually uh, have what we call a soft opening. We uh, The book is on sale uh, for pre-order on blueribbonyearbook.com. Uh, basically, I just do that whenever my cover artist gets the, the cover ready. We just go ahead and put it on the website and put it for sale and and let people find it organically because this time of year, they know to search for it anyway. And our deal has always been first come, first serve. So if you, if you order your book first, we ship that out first. So uh, it's only been up there since Friday, and we've gotten a bunch of orders already people that you know have come to expect it and uh, it's going to be a good it's going to be a good one i i brought on a couple of new writers to add to our already stellar crew of course you've been a big help already to me and uh i'm looking forward to it i've, I've had some great conversations with coaches i'm writing 26 stories myself and i've spoken to i think 16 of them and i've got two more today including our mutual friend ed conroy uh, at the Citadel. I'll tell him you said hello. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, you hear some cool scuttlebutt, so we'll get into that a little later. Chris, a topic we've visited a lot over the last couple of years, the potential expansion of the NCAA tournament. doesn't sound like that's going to be happening right now, and to me, that's good news. Uh, the, the NCAA Men's Basketball Committee talked about it during meetings they had last week, but making the field bigger is not imminent. Uh, that was the word. The NCAA Senior Vice President of Basketball, Dan Gavitt, who certainly knows the game, uh, says they're looking at a few different models to make an informed decision, but it remains to be seen whether it expands or not. Uh, I, I think there are opinions all over the map on this from not wanting to expand in any way, shape, or form, keep it 68, to blow it wide open. Some coaches and people are in favor of that. And then there are some in the middle who say, you know, if you if you tweaked it just a little bit, that might be okay. But um, I would prefer to see it stay where it is. Uh, we'll see what happens in the coming years, but it doesn't sound like it's happening right now. Thank goodness. And there's a fourth uh school of thought uh, that that would uh, expel all the the schools like you and I attended mid-majors and just make it a, a power conference tournament I I wouldn't like that either honestly I was really relieved to see this news I, I think 68 is plenty if you talk to our friend Joe Lenardi who spends more time with this, with the bracket, than any human on earth. <laughs> no question. Uh, including all the selection committee put together, uh, he struggles to find those last three or four teams that really deserve to be in the tournament, even at 68. So uh, let's make it 68. I don't think there's any perfect thing on earth, but this is about as perfect a sporting event as there is. It includes, you know, small town America, people in big cities, uh, people in office pools who pick pick their bracket based on mascots or colors. It's it's just a great event. 
And the thing I like about it and always have and always will is that it gives schools like ours, you know, you went to Western Kentucky and who can forget when Darren Horn was the coach, that great upset that they made. I went to East Tennessee State and George Mason. So who can forget George Mason's run to the final four and ETSU is as scared or, or beating some people in the tournament. So to me, that's the attraction of it is finally mid-major schools that really don't get a chance to play big schools on equal footing in the regular season. They're matched up and man, they're mad. <laughs> but by the time they get, they've got a chip on their shoulder. You know, just ask St. Peter's or, or uh, FDU, something about those Jersey schools, man. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really relieved that they don't plan on doing anything, at least for the foreseeable. Yeah, you wouldn't have gotten a story like Florida Atlantic going to the Final Four this year. I mean, that, exactly. you know, that's, that's one of those teams would be left out if you went to all uh, power conference tournament uh, for, for men's basketball. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that, but that seems like uh, good news as far as we're concerned for now. Um, it seems like usually at this point in the year, we know more of the schedule for teams than we do now. Uh, how do you feel like the transfer portal might actually be holding things up? We've got word of a few of the, of the uh, you know, MTEs, and we saw that it was going to be Baylor against Duke at Madison Square Garden on December 20th, but it doesn't feel like we know a whole lot about uh, uh, people's schedules, maybe not as much as we usually do here in the middle of July. I'm glad you asked that question, sir. Um, I've talked to several coaches that are having trouble getting their schedules because there are several programs that are still actively searching for bodies, uh, for players. And nobody wants to commit to games if they don't know what their roster is going to be. So I was talking to one coach in particular. He said they are way behind. Usually in in July, they've at least released their non-conference schedule and you know, they're just waiting on TV deals and stuff and their league to re, uh, release their conference schedules. But, yeah, if if you've got a coach sitting out there that has, you know, one, two or three, uh, some, some as many as three or four spots to fill, they are loath to schedule a game not knowing, you know, how they're going to be able to handle it. So that has really changed things. It's delayed things, and uh, which is why – I'm, I'm sort of glad to see that uh, the NCAA is considering shortening that transfer window. There was a 60-day period that began for every sport. It begins when their championship brackets are released. So that's 60 days from Selection Sunday for, for college basketball, which meant March 11th uh, to June 11th. And – and then you've still got well, kids can graduate in the summer and become grad transfers and and leave. So it's it's really just a crazy. I don't know. It, uh, many coaches have referred to it as the wild wild west. So I'm hoping that maybe if they shorten the transfer window, uh, it can get get us back on track in yeah. terms of uh, you know. The schedule, we, we had to stop putting schedules in Blue Ribbon because if we waited on all the schedules to get done like we used to, we wouldn't get the book out till December. And I, <laughs> I think our fans would be pretty hot about that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's uh, it, it has changed what, what you do as well. I know we've talked about that before. You just got to give a link to the website and let uh, folks go find yeah. it that way. 
there is still a bit of activity in the transfer portal. I know Memphis has added a couple of pieces, including former Alabama star Javon Quinterly. Uh, as a grad transfer he can play right away also uh, Tennessee had a player that wasn't there for very long and left for St. John so uh, a few things going on in terms of player movement here there there really are I I mean I didn't realize this Memphis was down to one dude they they had kids leave you know and some transfer some otherwise some exhausted their eligibility and they really had to scramble and I don't know this I would assume that their proximity to FedEx and Memphis there maybe might help them with procure a little NIL funding, but they were able to get a couple of key acquisitions. Jordan Brown from Louisiana. I think he was the Sunbelt player of the year last year, but he's been successful everywhere he's been. He was at Nevada when, when coach Musselman was still there or wait, maybe after coach Musselman left. Anyway, he was rookie of the year. I was going to say, how old is this guy? (laughs) Yeah, he was rookie of the year in the Mountain West. Then he transfers to Arizona. He's sixth man of the year in the Pac-12. And then he goes to the Sun Belt. Like I said, I I think he's pretty sure he was uh, player of the year in the Sun Belt. So he's a 6'10 guy that has a face-up game and good rebounder, and he'll really help Memphis. And then Javon Quinterly was kind of a surprise to some, I think. Uh, when he left Alabama. But I think with him, he wanted to go somewhere and finish out his career as the man. And he's certainly going to be have that chance at Memphis. At, at Alabama, they had Mark Sears, the transfer from Ohio, who played well last year and was going to probably start at the point. And then they brought in two other mid-major guards who are tailor-made for what Nate Oates runs in, in his offense. So, I mean, I think playing time was a factor for him. And the kid, Chris Ledlam at Tennessee, I was surprised but not shocked when I saw that he left. Uh, I think when uh, Tobe Awaka dominated the under-19 FIBA championships, he averaged a double-double. And uh, some of the Tennessee's coaches said he grabs every rebound in sight. He's like Oscar Shibway. Uh, he's going to start at the four. There's no doubt about it. And then when Josiah Jordan James came back, he's going to start at the three. So Chris Ledlam wanted to go somewhere where he could, again, be the man. So he's from New York, and it doesn't surprise me that he went to St. John's. Rick Pitino's done a really good job of of inheriting a roster that got Mike Anderson fired and, and rebuilding it with mostly transfers. And I think they're going to be highly competitive. It doesn't seem like we hear as much about junior college players, but are they making a comeback uh, and, and with some of the folks you've talked to this summer? According to some some coaches I've talked to, one in particular, Andy Kennedy from UAB, it's a rarity when you look, and I keep a folder on every school that I write, and within that folder are other folders, and two of them are November recruiting and then spring. I used to just call it, spring recruiting. Now I call it spring slash summer recruiting. I might have to put another slash in there and put slash fall recruiting. (laughs) But I looked and I I saw that that intentionally UAB signed two JUCOs in November. That just doesn't happen. You know, usually JUCOs are kind of have been become a last resort or, you know, when people are scrambling for talent in the spring. But Andy knew these kids and he knew they were losing a bunch of seniors and he went ahead and pulled the plug. And 
he went to a junior college event a couple of weeks ago and he talked to a lot of coaches. There were a lot of D1 coaches there and he thinks D, uh, JUCOs are going to make a comeback. And you know, what's also crazy. I've talked to several coaches who have been able to lock in as some, you know, mid-major coaches that have locked into some three-star borderline four-star high school kids. And I've heard the phrase several times uh, before the portal, we don't get this kid. So high school players are being overlooked right now. And so everybody just kind of lives in the portal. Uh, I was talking to the Furman coach, Bob Ritchie, and they had one scholarship to give and they needed a big and all of his coaches were coming to him and pointing out these portal guys. And he said, you know what? I don't really want to take a guy just because he's in a portal that he may not be exactly what we want. I'm going to challenge all of you uh, to come back in a week and you bring me a high school big. So they bring this kid, he's 6'11 with a 7'4 wingspan. He can run like a deer. And Richie told me, you know, pre-portal, there's no way we get that kid. No way. So, you know, the portal has changed things, some for good and some for not so good. But it's it's cool to see. I don't know if you've seen Last Chance Basketball on on Netflix. It's a good show about uh, East L.A. Uh, Community College. Yeah. And where these kids, you know, they want to keep their career going. And they're all trying to get to a D1 school. And it's a cool little little series uh, to watch, but I'm glad to see some Juco guys getting some respect again, because a lot of them go there, you know, with things to prove. Some have to improve their academics and some have to prove to some players that they're as good a player as they think they are. And it's cool when they, when they get that chance. I guess the, you know, the downside of what you're talking about with schools in the middle getting high school guys they wouldn't have necessarily been able to get in previous years is okay they get those guys they're there for a couple years they develop and then they end up going and And they get plundered get plucked by a high major somewhere so that's that's sort of the downside of of that part of it and and i guess if you coach at that level you accept that that's the world you live in you know yeah that's a great point kevin and and a couple of coaches i've talked to say that their way to counter that is to be a program of development and also of of team building and chemistry. Uh, Dustin Kearns from Appalachian State is one. Two of the last three years, he's brought back all five starters. And, uh, you know, he says they do crazy things, go out and bowling together and go to movies and and play putt-putt golf and stuff and just try to really make it a family. Uh, I heard a great line. I forget what show it was was in. I wish I'd have uh, written it down so I could steal it. Uh, but somebody said something to the effect that a family isn't always uh, uh, the people you are born into. A family can be, you know, a team or a group of friends. Uh, I consider my team on Blue Ribbon almost like a family because we've been together for years. But uh, so that's what coaches are trying to do is is build you know, sort of families away from home and, and in hopes that that can keep kids loyal. And, but there's always going to be kids that, and I don't blame a kid if, if he's graduated and he wants to transfer as a grad transfer and prove himself on a higher level, you can't blame him. But I do hate to see 
again, we both went to mid-major schools. I hate to see mid-major coaches work so hard to develop kids and then just lose them. I'm talking to one of them today, Bob Marlin, the Louisiana coach who just lost Jordan Brown. Uh, uh, we'll see what he says about that. Uh, Kentucky went up to Canada and won a championship. I don't know if they'll hang a banner at Rupp Arena or anything like that, but they, they were all very excited. Uh, Antonio Reeves is coming back for another season. That was one they've been waiting on. They also added Trey Mitchell from West Virginia. We'll talk about the Mountaineers shortly, but it's funny to see different perspectives uh, on Kentucky winning that tournament up there. Uh, their folks were all excited and fan base was and all of that, but then there are also some eye rolls saying, hey, yeah, we see this every summer where Cal loves his team. How do you look at that and, and have they solidified things a little bit with some of the player movement well they they certainly this is funny they were in danger of missing blue ribbons top 25 for the first time and i don't know how long uh probably billy gillespie's last year i don't know probably maybe not even then but uh but fans were worried fans were wondering whether cal you know why on in the name of God, did we give a lifetime contract to this man? Uh, maybe that the game had passed him by. And there were rumors out there that they couldn't get kids in the portal because with Cal, you either started or sat the bench. There was no middle ground. And you hear all kinds of stuff. But I'll tell you what, uh, Bob Huggins' flat tire fixed a few things uh, because he got stopped. <laughs> And eventually, we'll talk about that, lost his job. And then some people bolted. And a couple of them went to SEC schools. One big guy went to Alabama. And another one, Trey Mitchell, went to Kentucky. And he, as soon as they got Trey Mitchell, I said, well, we got to put him on our top 25 now because they've got all these five-star kids. But then they also got Antonio Reeves. And the story on him was is that he was going to he was at Illinois State. He was going to try to graduate, become a grad transfer, and go somewhere else. And I heard that he just had too many credits to graduate in one summer, uh, which is no knock on the kid. He just, you know, wasn't as close to graduation as maybe he thought. So he's back, uh, probably got his pocket line with a little NIL loot. And, uh, you know, if Cal needs to play him till he drops – uh, because that guy's a scoring machine. And I think some fans were curious why he didn't play more last year. And part of it had to do with defense, but I don't know if I'm a coach, I, I'll, I'll take a guy who could score. He may let up a couple on the other end, but if he can let up a two, but score three on the other end, I'll take that. <laughs> SEC football media days were, were here in Nashville last week. You mentioned NIL. But there was news affecting not only football but other sports. Commissioner Greg Sankey uh, did his annual address uh, back on Monday and talked about the need for uniform legislation on the NIL rules. Uh, there is a bipartisan group of three senators that have put together a draft of a bill that covers more than just NIL, and that's getting out there just as we speak this morning. Uh, with funding for medical expenses after athletes' careers are over, long-term guaranteed scholarships, draft eligibility things, and, and also more transparency about athletic revenue and expenses. To me, the whole NIL thing, I, I never have had a big problem with you know players getting paid and that sort of thing legally. But to me, it wasn't as well thought out as it should have been when they opened the door for this a couple of years ago. And I felt like it needed to have way more 
just structure and parameters about how it's all going to work and all those sorts of things so maybe this is a step in that direction we've seen Sankey go to Washington and some other uh, conference commissioners and so forth so uh, we'll see where this goes if it goes anywhere you know maybe you know, may not go anywhere but um, it, it does feel like to me there needs to be more rules as, as you know to, to make this work long term I think so too I, I think the NCAA committed the cardinal sin by just kind of opening up Pandora's box. They threw it out there without really many parameters. I mean, in the rule book, it used to be if you were an alumni, if you or I wanted to recruit for Western Kentucky or ETSU and and we got caught, they would be sanctioned, you know. But now uh, groups of alumni can pool their money together and and pay kids. So, uh, you know, it, it just makes the disparity between the haves and have nots that much greater. And it really causes for warring and feuding, even in the SEC. I mean, uh, you know this better than me, but didn't Texas, Texas A&M get accused by Alabama of buying their recruiting class? And, you know, you just don't want grief like that if you're, if you're uh, Greg Sankey. So, I don't blame him for going to Congress. And I really do think that Congress has to step in on a bipartisan basis and let's enforce some rules because different states have different ways of doing things. And and let's just have some commonality here in how we do things. So it's fair for everybody. I mean, if I were a politician, my one rule would be for the good of all. And, and I, I don't see how you can argue with that, for the good of all. And, and I think that's what Greg Sankey is trying to do here. Well, we mentioned Bob Huggins. Uh, let's talk about that situation. What's up there? Huggins said he never Boy. turned in a resignation notice and should still be employed as men's basketball coach at West Virginia and says the announcement that was made on June 17th was a false statement and he didn't draft or review it. If you ask me, I say, Bob, maybe take the L here and, and, and just go on. I don't know that I see Bob Huggins returning to the sideline at West Virginia, and they have said as much, the administration at that school. <laughs> what do you make of that whole thing? Yeah, I feel badly for Hug. I really do. But when he says he wants to set the record straight over the past two weeks, well, here's the only record you need to know. Dude blows a 2.1, you know? I mean, that's twice the legal limit. So he's clearly got an issue, and by stepping in uh, behind the wheel, he he risked not only himself but others. And and uh, I, you know, I, I don't think he's thinking clearly. He he just like you said, he just needs to take the L and go quietly away, uh, hopefully to a rehab clinic where he can beat his drinking problem and and get on with his life. I mean, he's 69 years old. He's worked hard. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he deserves a rest, I think. And he's certainly, uh, he's either getting some bad advice or, or he hasn't quite gotten to that rehab place yet yeah. because he, he might still be tippling a little. Yeah. I guess my thought on this here, and I, I don't mean to, you know, make, make light more than I should, but neither, neither do I, but you know, it's one of those situations where you, you just go gracefully and say you know what i had a great run here you know i messed messed up i'm trying to get help and and i'm gonna go spend time with my family and yeah at at this point in life for him he's got bound to have plenty of money and just have the time to spend with his family uh, at that age uh we want to wish all the best to 
guy who's been a friend of our show and chris i know you he's been a friend of yours and a big supporter of blue ribbon for many years and that's dick vital the legendary espn broadcaster he's again battling cancer uh undergoing some chemo on voice rest and uh, I've, I've kind of kept track of and i know you probably have too he's, he's posted a lot of things on, on social Twitter, media yeah. about how it's going for him but man all the best to dickie v he has had just one health issue after another over the past few years he's done his best to come back and call games and be around the game that he loves uh, more than anything but uh we want to wish dick vital the very best and a, and a speedy recovery and hope to hear him back on those uh mics on espn very soon absolutely and it, it's the ultimate irony that the man who champions uh the eradication of cancer more than anybody i've ever known uh endures it himself and it's on his vocal cords which he's known for his voice people imitate him uh uh, he's made millions of dollars on that voice of his, that raspy, exuberant uh, voice of his. And uh, I really hope they can take care of this. He's 84 years old and and otherwise shows no so- signs of slowing down. I don't think he wants to retire. And I think he's very much still beloved uh, in the ESPN community. He must be because they, the ax came out up, up in Bristol and, uh, some really good people got let go uh, and he was not among them i think that would have been super cold to do that yeah some of the names that got let go up there uh were, were ones that were it. very familiar yeah it was uh, kind of hard to believe a few weeks ago when all that happened chris gonna finish up our, our show uh, on a happier note uh, done some summer traveling here mentioned last week uh, we were down at the beach uh, orange beach alabama we, we like to go there every year uh, my son Reed and I, we, we took a, a quick little trip up to Indiana. We went to Holiday World and rode the roller coasters and, and went to the water park and all that. But then also, uh, we took a little side trip over to French Lick, Indiana, home of the uh, cool. one and only Larry Bird, uh, where Larry Legend grew up. We saw Springs Valley High School. It's right in the middle of town. But the the thing that got me was is uh, didn't it didn't seem to me like there was as much Larry Bird stuff as I, I thought there should be. You know, he he was a huge star coming out of there you know in the 70s he went to indiana university very briefly and then went to indiana state where he became a legend and then on to the celtics where he was a hall of famer and won multiple nba championships is is one of the greatest shooters and passers and all those things of all time but uh it was neat to to drive around there for a minute i didn't know very much about that area my, my dad and i used to fish at a lake there when i lived in louisville as a kid there's patoka lake which isn't very far and that was that was a part of the reason i drove up that way to begin with just to see the lake uh, i hadn't been there in about 40 years uh but it was neat to to drive around french lick indiana and think about larry bird and uh just the the legendary player that he became from that really really small town you can almost hear John Mellencamp in the background. Ain't <laughs> yeah. that America? Yeah, you hear a small town or pink houses playing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the Larry Bird story is one of the best in, in history. And, of course, obviously he, he started off at IU, and I don't think he and Coach Knight saw eye to eye. And he came back and went to Indiana State and became a legend. Uh, doesn't he still have a farm in French Lick or something? Yeah, I think he might. I think he does. I think you're right. But you you would think, you, you know. You remember the commercial when, when Magic or... Johnson uh, rolled up in there in the limo at his farm and then they played one-on-one oh, yeah, or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you'd think there'd be a big statue and everything, but. Uh, Maybe there was. We just didn't see it. But Bird had a crazy story. I mean, I think his father committed suicide and, and he just – it was a hard scrabble existence for him. And, and he played like that. He, he played with a chip on his shoulder. 
every now and again, I'll fall down a YouTube rabbit hole uh, of Larry Bird as the greatest trash talker of all mm -hmm. time videos. And man, he would just say, like, if, if somebody was guarding him and it was a rookie, he'd say, rookie, rook, you're going to have a bad night tonight. <laughs> <laughs> or, or how he would tell people what he was going to do to hit a game yeah. winner. And then he would like, go do it. I was like, I'm going to go. going off I'm blast, gonna, baby. I'm going to go over to that spot. And I'm going to hit a fadeaway. And there's nothing yeah, you can do yeah, about it. <laughs> it's going to go right in your face. But, uh, but I think that, I think, you know, what you said, that, that, that small town, that, that sort of shaped him and, and, and is who he is. It, you know, he never, he never wanted the spotlight. He was a reluctant interview at best, uh, but boy, he's on my all-time top five. I mean, I'd I'd have to put him on there. I, I mean, if if I think about it, I, I I've got LeBron, I got Larry, I got Magic, uh, Michael, I got Jordan, and my center. I I'd, I'd probably go with Bill Russell just because somebody has to guard, uh, yeah, and 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 protect the rim. But a lot of guys would with would go with Kareem. Or maybe even Wilt Chamberlain, but uh, but Larry Bird's on it for sure. Yeah, Kareem would be on my five. I think uh, I just he was so unstoppable. The the sky hook, you just couldn't sky do anything hook. with it, man. You really couldn't. Well, Chris, uh, always great. To always enjoy our podcast. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, buddy. All right, buddy. Thanks. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.